The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. UT is back. I mean, Texas might be okay, too. UCLA might be the best team in Los Angeles, not to mention in the Pac-12. And another edition of Dumb Loses More Than Smart Wins. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, October 10th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel fresh off a delightful trip to the University of Kansas for what turned out to be a scintillating game between the Jayhawks and TCU. Uh, TCU, another team that's real after that victory, and Kansas is really good also. Uh, But I think, Pete, the place where we start are the lamb chops, the little tiny lamb chops that you and I were devouring at an event uh, for Kansas Boosters on Friday night. They were kind enough to invite us to stop by briefly. And, uh, and we were able to have some, some good appetizers and, uh, and then a little trouble uh, extricating ourselves uh, by the end of the evening. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, Travis Goff uh, invited a few of us from, from or all, everyone from game day over on uh, Friday night. And I thought it would be like a quaint, uh, it was like a wedding in his backyard. Was, <laughs> I was like, I brought a bottle of wine and I was like, yeah, this is going to get lost in the shuffle. I should have just, I should have just taken it back to the room. Um, <laughs> it was a, uh, there were certainly some of the, uh, the, the great characters of uh, Kansas athletics there. I met uh Mr. Anderson, who the Anderson Football Complex is named after, um, mm-hmm. that we spent some time in over the uh, weekend getting to know the Kansas staff. And uh, Coach Self was uh, Coach Self was there. He made it. He made a late appearance, which was uh, it was good to see him. He's got another good team, um, not surprisingly, there in uh, in in Lawrence. Uh, Doug Gerard, the chancellor, the guy in charge, <laughs> Kansas, and the guy in charge was- of the three hundred million dollar project that they announced uh, earlier that day. Yes, it was part yes. of the reason for the celebration. Yes. No, it looked like you, 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 you enter Kansas football at that moment and mm-hmm. uh, you could see it's a little bit like Kentucky football, Reese, right? It right. wasn't like they didn't care. It wasn't like they wouldn't support it. There was just no reason to support it until Mark Stoops came to Kentucky, mm-hmm. right? So Kansas, when it had its blip under Mangino there in uh, 07, 08, 09, um, you know, they, they showed up. But uh, that was, I will ask you this. Um, you've been to many, many game days over many, many years. I would think it's in the hundreds at this point that you've hosted. Uh, where, What percentile would that Kansas showing and the energy rank there? Uh, top two or 3% in terms of the showing. Um, you know, Kirk at one point mentioned during a break, he goes, he said, this is a great crowd. He goes, they're not really sure how to react. And, you know, yeah. that was that was sort of the vibe I got at the event. Now, I want to clarify this. I rarely, uh, rarely do anything on, on Friday nights. This is not norm. I like to go and lock myself in the hotel room and get ready for the show. But I felt like because of the magnitude of having Kansas host game day and they were undefeated. And I, I thought it was you know a good thing for us to, to swing by and, and uh, thank them for their hospitality because they were phenomenal. All weekend, everybody that hosts us, they do a great job. Kansas went above and beyond. We're very grateful for it. 
So I wanted to go in and visit with Travis and, and see some of the people. And, you know, they told me Bill would be there, uh, Bill Self. So, you know, it was it was a good opportunity to do so. But that's that's not my that's not my typical uh, routine on Friday night before game day. And the sense that I got from their boosters was one of apprehension, like is not that not not like not like powerhouses who are worried they're going to lose. Theirs was like, is this real? Uh, are, are we? It, because I even had one of their prominent boosters say to me almost in a, a resigned fashion, well, we're going to enjoy this as long as it lasts. Do, do you think we can keep Lance? Do you think we can keep Jalen out of the transfer portal? Speaking of Jalen Daniels, you know, I'm like, hey, man, you're yeah. you're five. You're five and oh, I mean, you're you're about to become bowl eligible. You've got this thing on the right track and, and you know, enjoy it. And there was there was a sense of apprehension that only comes from uh, generations of losing. Um, but I thought the biggest thing that they did, though, they didn't win the game. They acquitted themselves well on that stage against a team oh, yeah. that, in my judgment, uh, while Kansas has some talent, I'm not trying to suggest they don't, but in my judgment, TCU is the far superior team athletically, and they gave them everything they wanted right to the very end, even after losing their quarterback to a shoulder injury early. But Jason Bean, by the way, was terrific. He, he played he played great when he came in the game. Yeah, a few things on the uh... – on, on the game, I, I really don't think, you know, Kansas didn't win the game, but they won the weekend. I think, like, that was uh, one of the Kansas coaches texted me this Saturday. That was what a top 25 game looks like, right? Mm -hmm. It was exactly. two teams trading punches, overcoming adversity, finding answers. Um, look, if Kansas was going to be in that game, I thought they had to shorten the game. The first half of that game took, like, you know, 55 minutes. I'm exaggerating, but it was like, it was at halftime when some of the, like the normal sort of big 12 sort of pass fests were like early in the second quarter, they mm -hmm. took the air out of the ball. They were conscientious about running some clock. They had that one. I mean that, you know, you can, you can do a hundred riddled with regrets in a wild game like that, but they had that fumble on the goal line very early in the game where they could have kind of seized control. Uh, mm -hmm. TCU mm -hmm. took the ball, scored the field goal, marched down early. I thought that was a smart move by, uh, by Dykes to like say, hey, we're going to come in here and run run through you, and you know, speed as a lot of people pointed out on the show was obviously the 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 factor. Uh, credit to TCU, they made a very key adjustment. Um, I talked to some of their coaches uh, on on Saturday night. Uh, they moved Quinton Johnston, my favorite receiver in the country. You love him. Podcast you love him. Would know. Well, yeah. he had fourteen <laughs> catches, uh, two hundred something yards. He had the you know spectacular game winner. Um, in the uh, in in the back of the end zone, and I just think like he's he is all the talent of the high end guys in college with the physical intangibles. But they moved him to the inside in certain formations, and he had been exclusively on the outside. And 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 Davis, who's had a remarkable breakout season for them, the little speedster, who's also uh, you know one of the best return guys in the country, had sort of been in, in that role a little bit. So I just mm -hmm. think they basically said we are going to it was as if i was calling the plays basically okay i want you to finish to this i want you to finish this but because people like to hear the back and forth everybody in life loves to be right right yes so i get a, i get a great i get a great screenshot text from pete during the game which has quentin johnston's numbers circled on it said see see but uh it was it was really smart and it's what you and i you and i talked about this on friday because i actually 
checked in with you at one point before a Friday segment and said, hey, Johnston is good, right? I mean, he's not hurt or anything. You're like, no, good. And just mentioned that Duggan is a little more comfortable uh, in as he goes through his reads and progressions and whatever with the inside receivers. So that, that makes perfect sense that they would move that weapon in there. And it certainly paid off two bills and 14 catches or whatever it was. Yeah, that was as dominant of a single performance that receivers had this year. And I had said this, and zero humans on earth would remember this, but on game day last week, we did a quick hit on Quinton Johnston. And I said, like, he really only played half the game against Colorado, one quarter against Mighty Tarleton. And they had basically held him back knowing they have to play nine straight without a bye. Now, mm-hmm. um, and then some of it just comes down to, like, looks and reads and, and all that stuff. So that, I think – that was a there was there was a sense in the TCU staff we were going to force him into the into the game plan this week and he was clearly uh, you know the, the singular difference maker Kansas uh, again which is which has come so far since May when Lance took the job he didn't even have that first spring May of twenty one it's come so far so fast uh, Jalen Daniels is going to get an MRI this week we're going to see what what's wrong with his right shoulder uh, it is his throwing shoulder mm-hmm. and so. Um, yeah, there's no no real early feel on it, but um, my thought would be just with the, with the way he fell and the way it looked, the way they put him right in street clothes, like it might be hard to imagine him back uh, this this week. But credit, Jason Bean played a lot of snaps for Kansas now. And, yeah, uh, yeah, he's not a it's not his first rodeo out there. He, yeah, he played that big great. moment he didn't look big now. for him. Whew, no, yeah, no, he's uh, he's a he's a nice player. I. You know, and we'll get to Texas and Oklahoma later because I believe Kansas goes down to uh, they might have a buy and go to Oklahoma. No, I think um, I think thinks this week they go it? right there. OK. All right. Yeah. So oh. that's uh, I mean, Kansas, I, I haven't looked at any lines yet, but Kansas should be favored in that game. Right. Oh, I would think so. I think they, Which they is have crazy. to be crazy. This sport is crazy. Yeah. If I called you the day before the season started, Reese, and said Kansas is going to be favored at Oklahoma this year. You would have had me committed somewhere. I'm looking at the line right now, Pete. Oklahoma minus seven. How how is how is that possible? I mean, lines aren't based on who's going to win; they're based on who's going to bet where. So, I I mean, yeah. in, in betting is on brands, right? Some yeah. guy who doesn't pay that much attention is going to wake up in Seattle and be like, "Whoa, Kansas! They're only seven point <laughs> underdogs. Like, let's yeah. roll," you know. So, Reese, Oklahoma. At Kansas last year. By the way, a game they almost lost. That was yeah. the famous game where Caleb Williams pulled the ball on the fourth down and, and fell forward and won. One of the great, wacky, individual, quintessentially college football plays we saw all last year. And probably say, close to a penalty, right? Close to a forward yes. lateral type penalty. Yes, anyway. there was certainly some, yeah. you know. Um, I, I want to say Kansas was up at halftime in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, Oklahoma was a 38-and-a-half-point favorite. So now we uh, now we look at Oklahoma at home being a seven point favorite. So that's a that's a 30 point line swing year to year, which, again, Bill Connolly could probably find this in like six seconds with his magic fingers. But that's as big of a line. You know, that has to be a top 10 big line swing you'll see all year on that subject. Connolly's column that he dropped Mm -hmm. yesterday. Let let me hit you with this largest underachievement. Against yeah. the spread in a three-game span for a once-ranked team in the last 30 years. There are a lot of caveats in there, but a team that was ranked at one time in a three-game span over the last 30 years and actual outcome as opposed to what the spread was. Oklahoma is fifth worst 
this three-game stretch that the Sooners are on, uh, having underachieved relative to the spread by 98 points. 98. Caveat Connolly, he brings the goods. Uh, yeah. I read that. I read that this morning. It was it was wow. remarkable. Yeah, um, that's. But, you know, it probably indicates, and the line will likely move next week, probably indicates some worry about um, about Jalen Daniels and optimism that Dylan Gabriel uh, will return for Oklahoma because they certainly look completely different when he's a quarterback. We Can Review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create one-of-a-kind sausage recipes, Eckridge you do you. Oklahoma, I'm not sure what Oklahoma was doing uh, against Texas, and I think it's really easy to gravitate toward the negative. So let's do that first before we hit what I feel is my takeaway from the Texas game against a depleted, demoralized, awful-looking Oklahoma team. Look, you, you, can't, you can't just go wildcat. If you don't have, you just got to let him play, man. And if you and if you're not going to let him play, I, I don't understand why you have, you know, Davis Bevel on the team, or you don't have someone in backup role. Uh, you you got to go try because that that was a that was a give up uh, move. A or you know how, and I'm sure it wasn't like this. I'm sure that you know Jeff Levy and that staff they were saying, what could we possibly do to slow the game down and maybe win it. Mm-hmm. But when you have the 30,000-foot view, as we have the privilege of doing, and you have the job which critiques performance, which is what we do, to me, that said, we've got no shot. I don't have any confidence in this in this backup quarterback. We can't throw it. We're just going to run Wildcat and try to get out of here. And it, it was akin to, and I don't, I don't suggest for a second this was the attitude behind it, but it was akin to, when you were playing pickup football in the backyard when you were six years old and maybe there was one guy who was just so much faster than everybody else and he scored all the touchdowns and you just were like, well, I'm not, I don't even care. I'm not even going to really try. You know, that that's the way it came across to me. I, it was, uh, it was a bad, bad performance by Oklahoma all the way around after really building some optimism with their first three games, granted not against world beaters, but you know, they played pretty well. And, you know, maybe this whole Nebraska curse thing is real because what are teams like 1-11 and 11 after beating Nebraska? I mean, it might be easy to beat Nebraska, but it apparently takes something out of you and steals your soul um, because – And your uh, offensive coordinator. And, yeah, it's uh, – a uh, man, oh, man. Uh, that, was, yeah. that was really a terrible performance <clears throat> by Oklahoma against Texas – It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Where do this? I don't know where the Sooners yeah. go from here, other than probably getting beat by Kansas at home uh, this week. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spin this dismal Oklahoma season into uh, a little bit of a riff here, Reese, on the sport we cover and love. So one year ago today, coming off Red River, uh, Texas had gotten the doors blown off them in Fayetteville, and they were beaten. Uh, you know soundly not like blown out but they were beaten in in a pretty wild game in red river i think they squandered uh they squandered an early lead it's going 28 7 lead they blew, yes, which is yes. what texas does uh, yes yeah. oh yeah they are yeah. uh they, they are good in the 49 nothings the one score games yeah. there's it remains to be seen a little bit so we're we're sitting there saying texas how the heck are they going to be ready for the sec right and that's what that's what i think completely separates college football from from the NFL and from any other sport is just how drastic the swings can be. And just, especially in this era we're in right now with NIL and with the portal, um, just how just it, it is completely the, the rhythms would be like, doo, 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 doo. like, so Texas here we are now with Arch Manning coming with Quinn Ewers looking every bit of what the recruiter, the recruiting ranking said he would be right. I mean, he mm-hmm. can, I'm going to steal your favorite line, Reese. He can spin the magic bean. Yes, it he is, can. It is pretty leaving his hand. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, Xavier Worthy in the back of the end zone in Austin against Alabama when we're sitting there watching from the porch, he lets one go right through his bread basket. Mm-hmm. Um, they might win that game if Xavier Worthy catches that pass. So maybe it, yeah. I mean, like it certainly would change the, it would have changed the the complexion and the scoring of, you know, as we, uh, as we saw it. So, but Quinn Ewers, it, it was just such a tantalizing, it, it was a really unique uh, build up to his career, right? Because there was all the mm-hmm. hype, two snaps at Ohio State, plays fine against Monroe. And then with the world watching, just slices and dices uh, a, a team in a way that like Nick's, I think it was the fourth most yards in a first quarter that Nick Saban had never given up. So you're like, wow, but it looked good too. You know, the way the ball mm-hmm. left his hand, the way it went. So, um, and, and here we are in Red River. Uh, I, I mean, one of my predictions for this, you know, early predictions for this season is that Ted Roof gets fired and Brent Venables has to s- sit back and take a long, hard look at a staff that in, in real time I thought was pretty pedestrian. Um, and the reality is that he's likely either going to have to get way more involved in the defense or he's going to have to step back and bring in someone to run something a little bit different. Like he has to make some hard head coaching decisions in a very in a very early time. Ted Roof's history as a coordinator, he's familiar, and that's why Brent brought him in. But Ted Roof's history as a coordinator is one that I would say is pedestrian. Now, I believe he was Auburn's defensive coordinator when they won the title with Cam. But Mm -hmm. since that time, there have been many stops that have proven to be pretty pedestrian. So I feel like they need to step back. and Because now all of a sudden, they're the ones that look scary going to the SEC, right? We're sitting here a year ago saying, how the heck is Texas going to build itself up to you know, to go toe to toe week to week with LSU, with Georgia, without now, now we're saying okay, well, Texas played Alabama to a standstill essentially, and Oklahoma is all of a sudden the one where we're like, whoa, wait a minute, like they they just from a pure talent level 
don't appear ready. But I will say this from talking to coaches who played them this year, they aren't gap sound. They've had massive busts. There is just a lack of general fundamental coaching soundness that that Oklahoma defense lacks right now. And that needs to change. And that's on Venables. That's on roof. That's on everything like that. That side of the ball has not been aligned right. Right. I mean, you've seen guys running free in the secondary, which is not, you know, not what you're accustomed to seeing with the Venables defense. And the question, you know, this is way down in the weeds, but the question I have about that dynamic and maybe from talking to people uh, in the inner sanctum privately, you have a better answer to this. Is Roof doing what he wants to do, or is he trying to implement the things that Venables wants done and sort of taking care of the areas that Brent couldn't, doesn't have the time now as a head coach to pay attention to that he did when he was the coordinator? Because that historically in college football has been a recipe for disaster. When when you when you aren't going all in either way, you're either trying to coach something you don't know as well because you're trying to please the boss, which we all have to do on some levels anyway, or you know, or are you doing something on your own that's not in alignment with the philosophy of the head coach? Either way, whichever way it is, or if it's neither of those things, it is it has clearly gotten sideways at Oklahoma and fast on on defense for sure. Yeah. This is not like a loaded defense. There's no like jump right. off the jump off the page first round picks, but they also have guys. Like it's 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 still Oklahoma. They mm-hmm. they the the sum is not better than the parts there right now. And that's on the staff. Now I'm not yeah. saying like they remember entering the year, the big stat on Oklahoma was they didn't have any first team all big 12 players on offense mm-hmm. or defense. It was just mm-hmm. their punter. Um so like like they do get a bit of a pass because they don't have some of the high end. Like Nick, there's no Nick Benito running around out there like there was last year. They've had they've had the occasional the occasional dude on on defense. And and look, their defense has only been asked to just hold off enough for the offense to score for three four years. So there's some culture change too there. That's uh, that's 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 important. But uh, no, and with a healthy Dylan Gabriel, that can be more. I mean, you you know this from talking. I'm a big Dylan Gabriel fan. I don't yes. want to underestimate what his absence meant and probably the entire psyche for them as to whether they had a chance. I, I think he's a really, really good college quarterback. And he's been playing really well uh too prior to the the injury against TCU. So yeah. The sad part of this weekend is we probably aren't going to see General Booty in any significant amount. Because if he didn't get in in that game and they played Nick <laughs> Evers. Now if you want some hope for Oklahoma uh, Nick Evers, the kid from the Dallas area who had been committed to Florida and then flipped after uh, after Mullen got fired, went to Oklahoma. There, people loved him in recruiting. Loved him. Venables was very optimistic. If you read his quotes this week mm-hmm. about where he's cut, like he could be the guy in the post Gabriel era, like the centerpiece, multi year starter who can who can really be the face of the program. So there's there is some optimism there that they do have a linchpin piece on campus already. He's impressed as much. Uh, our friend Pat McAfee will likely uh, be a little bit sad that that, that General Booty may just uh, he may just be a lieutenant after all. Uh, Matt McAfee was delighted, but I don't know that I've ever seen the level of joy in any human being to hand out swag than you <laughs> when the when the big box the big box of General Booty T-shirts arrived in the office on Friday. Pete was going around the room showing the various designs. And there were a multitude of designs with uh, with General Booty. 
uh, on it. I, I made, you know, everybody has to have a wisecrack on that one. I made the comment that at the risk of being approved, you know, I preferred private booty. <laughs> and, in and in response to that, uh, someone on Twitter had a hilarious suggestion that I'm glad that I didn't see uh, prior to uh, prior to the show because it would have been entirely too tempting. Uh, he said, maybe so. He said, but what if he had someone uh, in his family who achieved the rank of rear admiral? <laughs> Touche. Man, that was, that was a, that what was did we ever do good. before Twitter? No, that's excellent. Uh, that that is, was very that good. Is, that yeah. is that is excellent. I will I will add uh, was appreciative of the general booty uh, T-shirt drop. Twenty uh, percent of all the proceeds go to the Oklahoma Children's Hospital. So the old uh, the old general booty seems like he's a generally caring, uh, caring guy. Obviously, son of Abram Booty, former LSU receiver, nephew of John David Booty. He's a Juco walk on at uh, at Oklahoma, who uh, is one of those characters. So someday a bunch of people, game day staffers are going to wake up and then the bottom of their T-shirt drawer, there's going to be an I love booty number four. <laughs> t-shirt and they're gonna have a big chuckle from that from that moment uh from that moment in time so appreciate uh general booty's people for uh for for sending those along it, it brightened up our uh it brightened up our friday morning it was uh, br brilliant brilliant nil work and what i understand i guess is that abram who's a good receiver at lsu oh yeah um yeah. he he has a, an affinity a great affinity for the military and that's how general got his given name this is in case people does, don't know this is not a nickname here this is that's his it's on the birth certificate it's the given name um, let's go to the positive side of that game quickly. Made the comment off the top of the podcast that UT is back in Texas might be okay too. Obviously, we'll talk about Tennessee in a second. I still want to see Texas win a close game. Um, I know they're explosive. I know they're good. The Texas Tech game lingers. The Alabama game in which they had a chance, and there's been a lot of woulda, shoulda, could, and if Quinn didn't get hurt, and you know, sort of suggesting that Alabama was incapable of adjusting, uh, you know, but all of that clearly they had chances. They didn't win. They didn't win either time. I want to see them win a close game. I think they're going to. I just want to see it. That said, I think David Pollock was on to something uh, when we had the discussion on game day about who the best team in the Big 12 is. Wasn't received well at Kansas. He said it's Texas. And you don't want to overreact by thumping a reeling Oklahoma team because there's a lot of pent-up frustration uh, in Texas for Oklahoma. They're better than Oklahoma, and that's what good teams do to teams they're supposed to be. All of those things are good things. But to make that jump is, you know, is a little bit of a leap, but I tend to think Pollock might be on to something there, that Texas might well be the best team in the Big 12. With all due respect to the fellas in Stillwater who are – Really good. Really looking forward to that game when it comes up. Might get it twice. And uh, TCU also. A lot of good teams there. But it's not crazy. In fact, it's not even not crazy. I think it might be the most sane of there. The Texas might be the best team in the Big 12. So let me throw a scenario out, which uh, coming off the Texas Tech game, again, would have sounded insane. But so Texas has Iowa State at Oklahoma State for that big showdown in, in Stillwater. I know that's sort of on the game day list uh, mm -hmm. on October 22nd. Uh, they go to K-State after a bye, TCU at home, at Kansas, and then Baylor. So that would give them likely one, two, 
three, four, five ranked teams. Now mm-hmm. it's the Big Twelve. It's wacky. It's unpredictable. It's hard. Texas is still, you know, lost seven of nine one score games. So I, I certainly, as uh, as Bill Parcells would say, I don't want to put him in Canton yet. Mm-hmm. But what right. if we're sitting here at the end of the year and two lost Texas runs the table, and they have a late field goal loss to what we'll assume to be playoff team Alabama, and then they have a uh, close loss on the road at Texas Tech. Could in overtime. Be, yeah. In overtime, yes. Could that be like a two-loss type schedule that, that gets you to CFP consideration? Considering the caliber of wins they would have to have. Now, again, this is college football. Like, it doesn't go this way. It's too, mm-hmm. The game is too mm-hmm. unpredictable. It's too wacky. But just like the fact that, like, we could be sitting here saying, you know what, two lost Texas in a in a 2007 chaos theory season as a conference champion could certainly at least like be chattered about. And this is why when we in this, I don't want to go this rabbit hole, but this is why when we go to the 12 team playoff, like Texas can lose two games early and absolutely assert itself in the playoff. Like there's just hope and adrenaline for for the bigger picture and the picture that really matters the most, the way the sport has evolved in, in the long term. But do you think Reese? A two-loss Texas team that runs the table, assuming we'll say beat, beats Oklahoma State twice, once on the road, once in a neutral site, could get some chatter for the CFP. Yes. Under normal circumstances, and by normal circumstances, I mean everybody, not everybody else, but enough other teams stumble. And you don't have the SEC championship game in which – it's likely that both teams are going to go that you also don't have an sec championship game with Tennessee. Um, Well, I guess it wouldn't work this way, but maybe Georgia. Yeah. This way you don't have uh, Georgia sitting out there with only a loss to Tennessee, but didn't make the sec championship game. If you don't have scenarios like that and you have the stumbles, you can, come to expect over a college football season, the resume for Texas and the momentum they would have and the close losses would definitely be the two-loss type of resume that would get considered. That said, I I don't think Texas will do that. I think Texas is good. I, I, I think they're on the right track. I think they're really good. But I think that Big 12 is deep enough and treacherous enough. So it's two different discussions. I Yes, wholeheartedly, if they do it, I think they'll get there. Do I think they are capable of running the table and not uh, not slipping up somewhere when just about every game you play in the Big 12 is an opportunity to slip up? I do not think that. So I, I doubt they get there. But if they do, uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, they would probably be favored in every game other than at Oklahoma State. I would think mm-hmm. that would be a, you know, they'd be a field goal, uh, you know. And I'm I'm playing arid arid region uh, master there. I'm not looking up uh, projected lines. Um, but th- like th- this is the the beauty of college football. So say they're they're favored in six of seven or whatever it is to go. The chances of them winning all those are like, you know, it's probably a ten percent chance, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Considering coming out of Lubbock, just even that being in the discussion, um, they're just what Quinn Ewers does for them is he just opens up a whole different dimension. He opens up the running game for Bijan. We saw it. He makes a, 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 an electric receiving core that much more uh, electric. So uh, you you wonder really what they could be if uh, 
Jalen Naylor, the kid from uh, Wyoming, didn't get hurt because he was, you know, supposed to be a starter, you know, a guy who was obviously hyper productive at that other level, you know, at the Mountain West level. So it's uh, it's never boring in Austin, Reese. We we thank we thank them for that. <laughs> That's for sure. The the other UT or the UT, as it were, Tennessee. Went to Baton Rouge. I don't think anyone thought that LSU was some juggernaut, especially coming off a game in which they had 85 yards passing against Auburn. But they went in and put the hammer down. I think you got a good indication of how things were going to go in the opening kickoff. Uh, you know, bounce right off the chest of a Bayou Bengal in Tennessee. Said, "I'll take that." But you know, they dominated the game. They put 500 yards of offense up again, almost evenly distributed between uh, rushing and passing. Uh, they didn't let LSU run the ball at all. And, you know, this is – and they, they've been rewarded and continually to move up the rankings. Big test coming this week. We'll have plenty of time to look ahead to another opportunity for a cathartic-type win uh, from Tennessee against Alabama. But I thought what Tennessee did against LSU, albeit not a vintage LSU team, showed the medal of a legitimate – um, SEC contender. Now they have some holes. Their pass defense, uh, while yards per attempt is sort of middle of the road, gross number of yards that they give up is a lot. Uh, it's toward the bottom of the country. But their rush defense is good, and certainly they can score, and the tempo can uh, challenge even the best defenses. I thought that was a real, uh, a real positive statement for Tennessee to do that on the road and and what could have been a little bit of a peak ahead game, and they were focused on the task at hand. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I don't care who's coaching. I don't care if it's like the dying embers of the Orgeron era. I don't care if it's an interim. When you go to LSU and hang 40 on them and blow them out wire to wire. That was never a game. Right. If you can go there and shoot a kill shot in the first quarter and keep your foot on their throat in that environment, I don't care if it's a noon game, it's a night game, whatever it is, that's impressive. That is a compliment to your program, your scheme, your Heisman candidate at quarterback. So I was unbelievably impressed with not only Tennessee's victory, but just the the way. Usually there's some let up, right? Usually the home team is going to come back. LSU is not untalented. So just the fact that they absolutely choked them out in the first quarter and they never woke up is a is a is a high compliment to uh to, to Tennessee and where it is right now. 
in what has been uh, an, an a lightning bolt rebuild by by Josh Heupel. There's really mm-hmm. there's really no other way to uh, no other way to say it. So this is my question, Reese, as we move forward, and we'll break the, down this game more. We're going to obviously be in Knoxville again. Do you think we had an electric crowd there for game day for the Florida game? I mean, that was that was just that they were there when I showed up at five thirty in the morning. There was there was two thousand people there. I mean, it was electric. Do you think? the crowd will be amped even more because Alabama is like, I, I look at Drew I'm a Red Sox fan, right? 2004 to me, when they finally beat the Yankees was this like seminal moment. Now that was generations of heartache. But for, if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're a Tennessee student, you've essentially never seen Tennessee be competitive with Alabama, right? Like if you're a, you know, it would have happened while you're in diapers. Um, so like when you have a generation of longing, how do you think the fan base reacts on on Saturday, and what do you think that environment's like? It, it's going to it's going to be the Florida environment on steroids. You you think you've heard loud? You haven't heard loud until you hear what it's going to be like when they run through the T on Saturday. What it's going to be Saturday morning and game day? There's not going to be any apprehension there as we saw with Kansas last week. They think they're back. They are starving to be back because it's not just beating the juggernaut. There's a generation of fans who don't understand the vitriol and the disdain and the hatred that Tennessee has for Alabama, and in many cases, vice versa. Now, Alabama's become a little bit numb to that because they're 15-0 and under Saban against uh Against Tennessee, and the average score has been 39 to 14. There have been a couple of near misses, but basically it's been uh, routine beatdowns. This reminds me, Pete, and I, I hate to give this away, but I love our podcast listeners. I'm already planning something for Saturday on game day. 40 years ago, the day after the game, 40 years uh, from Sunday, there was a similar type cathartic breakthrough for Tennessee. The difference was is that Tennessee wasn't wasn't great that year under John Majors, but Alabama came in ranked second. They'd lost 11 in a row. They broke out the all-orange uniforms, crazy environment. They intercepted a pass in the end zone in the final seconds of the game. They held on. They won by seven. They tore down the goalpost. They marched them down the strip. They threw them in the river. Wow. Those goalposts are headed for the Tennessee River if Tennessee does this again. And part of it is is the frustration that Tennessee's had in trying to find their way back to the upper echelon of college football. Part of it is Alabama because that is uh, that's Alabama's oldest rival. And you know, Auburn has some vitriol, but there was, you know, the whole period where the government in the state of Alabama had to get involved to make them play because of some disputes over receipts in the old days. They always played Tennessee. And, you know, that was that was the big game to the old heads, the olds, as our buddy Pat McAfee calls me, Alabama, Tennessee. That was the game. And I think that because of the heartbreak that Alabama's given them, if you want to take it to another level, go back and think of when Saban was at LSU and he beat them in the SEC championship game and probably knocked them out of a chance to play for the national title. There's a lot of pent-up rage that is going to be right on the surface Saturday, and there will not be another environment in college football this season that will be more electric or more difficult for the visiting team than what Alabama has waiting on them on Saturday. Um, 
the great John Ward at the end of that 82 game that I mentioned uh, uttered the phrase, he was Tennessee's longtime play-by-play announcer, uttered the phrase, pandemonium reigns. And uh, pandemonium is right bubbling on the surface and ready to be unleashed on Saturday. It's, it's going to be intense. It, it is going to be very intense on Saturday, I think. One of my favorite things in sports, and it's one of the great things about covering college basketball especially, is when something happens either for the first time, like the school goes to the dance for the first time or wins a game in the dance for the first time, or in college football when something happens for the first time in a long time. There's really, to me, nothing in pro sports that that just captures that emotion because the school is such a fabric of the identity of the entire state. And like Alabama has just become so superior that it literally like affects the psyche of millions of people, you know, right from, from Memphis all the way over to the Appalachian mountains. So you have all of that for 20 years, just boiling up and you just watched, you know, you're looking at your neighbor down the road, right? The one you used to, you used to sneer down on become this dominant force. And now here's this one moment, this one moment to go snatch that back. And to me, that's, that, that is a really unique, unique moment in time. 100%. And there's so many subplots that have sort of been forgotten through the years, but Philip Fulmer being subpoenaed by people in Alabama because he was sending stuff to the SEC about Mike DeVos's recruiting practices, that caused a lot of animosity between the two sides. You know, and, and in many ways, um, Alabama people who have a disdain for Fulmer, they ought to be happy because, you know, he sort of helped orchestrate that tumultuous Franchoni. Mike Price, Mike Shula era that ultimately brought them Nick Saban. I mean, Fulmer instead, I've contended for years, he really should have been doing everything in his power to keep Mike DeBose as the head coach at Alabama for as long as he could. You don't want to turn him in for, you know, for recruiting stuff. You ought to be helping him a little bit, you know, because that was when things started to started to shift. But that's old, old history stuff. But it's interesting, and I think it for a certain generation of the fans at Tennessee, that's what that's where the intensity is going to come from. I don't think that there's going to be the apprehension, even that you sensed uh, from Florida in the Florida game late, where they're like, oh, no, this isn't really going to happen. We're not going to blow this. I think there is such disdain for Alabama that there won't be any any of that feeling in the stands and certainly Heupel and his staff and the players, they, they don't know anything about any of that. They just think they're playing great football and they're going to go, you know, they're confident they can beat anybody. This is all I'm talking atmosphere stuff. I'm not talking on the field because the guys on the field and the coaches, they, they don't care about any of this stuff. You know, it doesn't, that stuff doesn't matter. It only matters in creating the environment. So that's going to, that's going to be a great scene uh, in Knoxville on Saturday. A lot of times I don't like, repeat visits and I'd more behind the scenes stuff I'd advocated actually a couple of weeks prior to the Tennessee Florida trip of looking elsewhere that week and saving our Tennessee trip for this week for Alabama you know just in case the game turned out to be the matchup that it is uh, as it turns out going there twice in a short period of time is going to be great just because of the way things unfolded it was, you know, we felt like we might be at Utah this week, but after Utah lost to UCLA, um, and it's not always predicated, these decisions on who wins a game or loses a single game. You forget that by Saturday a lot of times. But in this case, it did take a little bit of the luster off of USC's visit to Salt Lake City. 
Mm. UCLA, on the other hand, man, oh man, I mean, what a dominant second half performance offensively. Now, Utah kept staying with them until, you know, I think they had a turnover, maybe had a fumble on one of the drives and they were down a couple of scores and they didn't, they didn't answer. Uh, but that was, that was a highly entertaining game. And also I thought made a real statement about the Bruins and we've talked about their preseason schedule, pre-conference season schedule, and maybe South Alabama's better than, well, not maybe they are better than, than most people realize it's still South Alabama and they, they survived that game. UCLA is rounding into form, and as good as and, and talented as USC is, uh, UCLA looks to be anybody's equal in the Pac-12 right now, and in Los Angeles. That was that was a really impressive performance against a really good Utah team. Yeah, South Alabama may be the uh, Heisman winner for dumb loses more than smart wins with that fake field goal that they called in that game. I don't know yes. if you remember that. that I do was, remember. Yeah. yeah, that was preposterous. Chip. I said going into the game last week, you know, Chip has built a team much in the mold that Utah's built. And clearly their mousetrap's a little better this year. Um, mm-hmm. My big takeaway from, from watching UCLA on, on Saturday was I was just thrilled for, for Dorian Thompson Robinson. All right. Mm-hmm. He's 18 of 23, 299, four touchdowns, one interception. But to me, I mean, this is a kid who committed to Jim Mora, right? This is a kid, mm-hmm. he was a really highly regarded recruit out of, out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. And he came to UCLA and he went through the full collegiate arc, which you rarely see. He had, it was heralded coming in. He started, he struggled, you know, and, and then there has been real development though, that happens And quarterback development. Reese can't be microwaved. You cannot develop a quarterback mm-hmm. just by inserting him in a system and going. And Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's a marvelous athlete, took a little bit of time. And what you're seeing now is that collective time. Uh, Chip Kelly, for my money, is still one of the best quarterback tutors and offensive minds in all college football. It looks a lot different than it did when he was doing it with the Ducks. But in terms of game planning, in terms of taking what he has and manipulating the opposing defense with it, there's there's a lot of there's just a lot of genius there, quite frankly. And so I know he hate, Chip hates that word. Um, so w- when I just saw UCLA marching up and down the field, and then you got Zach Charbonneau going for you know nearly 200 um, on 22 carries, by the way. So um, they're a uh, the, one of the new molds that you can do now in college football is you can get old, right? Mm-hmm. You can get old fast and. UCLA has gotten old. They've gotten old through guys who stuck around and they've gotten old through transfers who've come in. And by doing that with, uh, you know, with a, a crew of tight ends who are amongst the the best in the sport outside of Georgia, who clearly has the best crew of tight ends um, that they have, they have developed a, a, a smash mouth, hard nosed identity. And, uh, all, you know, all the credit in the world for, for chip and usually having the patience to to get to this moment because it has been an incremental gradual build and dtr has had a lot of criticism he mentioned that uh in in some interviews this week and there's been a there's been a process of development to get to this point but he didn't duck he didn't transfer back to unlv and try to do it again he didn't look for an easy way he sat there and faced it and uh they're, they're paying the dividends now and i would think that there's a chance we could be seeing the Bruins in Eugene. Uh, I agree. That w- that'll be a great environment, too, with Chip going back, both teams being really good. Uh, I think they've got 20 guys in grad school, uh, yeah. which, to your point of them getting old, and for all, all of the attention, and rightfully so, that USC got about working the transfer portal, uh, 
Chip sort of worked it in a lower key fashion. They're, they've got a lot of guys on that team, particularly on, on defense, that mm-hmm. started their careers elsewhere. And so they've they've put together they've put together a veteran scrappy group. And it's one of the things we've talked about on the podcast that people say, well, okay, so you're old, big deal. You're not as subject to the emotional swings that a younger team is if you've been around and seen a lot. You know, I mean, you don't get overwhelmed by environments or situations or if a game starts going sideways a little bit. Older guys who maybe on their second or sometimes even third stops, they can handle those things better because you're dealing with, you know, 22, 23-year-old men. Now, they may not be fully mature pros, but they're not not kids. They're not, for the most part, a lot of these players aren't kids. They're grown men. And when you have someone who has a few more years of experience, not just on the field, but in life, those men – tend to handle those circumstances a little bit better. And that's pretty conducive to Chip's coaching style too, I think is to have, uh, you know, older, mature guys on his team and, uh, and it's paying dividends and that'll be a great scene. I think both, I think both teams are off this week too. So nothing in the wacky world of college football can really screw up that meeting with the ducks next week. I already had someone reaching out saying that, should we go there that LaMichael James should be the guest picker and he's eager to do it which uh you know with the relationship and the success he had oh, with sure. chip and then obviously the connection to oregon you know there might be I, i'm i'm always uh i'm always good for a good ty burrell guest picker uh siding too but um being the big duck that he is but lamike will be a good choice as well so you can look at yeah. look at that but I, th- I think they're i think they're really good pete and one thing we ought to bring up in regards to the pac-12 they're not play they're not doing the division thing in terms of the championship game this year. So Utah, Utah's not out yet. You know, they can still take care of their business, beat USC, get another shot, you know, at UCLA, assuming that UCLA uh, continues on the path that it's on right now and, and, and makes it. Yeah. Good for the PAC 12 for reasserting themselves in, in the conversation nationally this season that had been sporadic probably in the past four or five years, but I've just, I look, you and I can't root for teams and programs, but like, I like a healthy, vibrant sport from coast to coast. I think in our chair, we can both agree to that. Right. Agree. Yeah. And so I, I can't sit here and tell you that, you know, how healthy or vibrant the PAC 12 is going to be as a league until there's another set of TV contracts that, that come through and that, Expired grant of rights certainly has people on the West Coast nervous, but I'm just happy that people can say, okay, we just don't have to eliminate the West Coast from college football conversation. One of the delights of this sport is that, you know, you can be in Pittsburgh one week and Eugene the next or Coral Gables one week and Pullman the next. And so I and I just don't think it benefits anybody if that West Coast goes dark in any way. So I'm just happy that they're in the conversation. I'd be giddy to, uh, you know, to get on a get on a plane and uh, get to Eugene the following week. And to accentuate your point about the quarterbacks, DTR turns 23 in November. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hendon Hooker is 24. And yep. like those dudes have seen some stuff. Like, yep. I don't, I don't care who you are. I, I don't know anybody who at 19 was the same as they were at 23 or 24. Those are, those are years you develop physically maturity, everything, you know, in a, in a significant way. So good for those guys for sticking around in DTR's place or in Hendon, finding a place where he can go thrive. And, uh, I just, those are, those are the stories that it's a little old school and I don't want to be the guy yelling at the cloud. I have no problem with the portal. I have no problem with NIL. But it is just nice to to see guys find a place and a 
in, in a situation that accentuates their skill set and they 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 struggle through adversity and find success. No question. I mean, it's a it's a good thing for for everybody. I'm totally on board with with all of those things. I ran across this last week, and I want to get back to the Pac-12 and their somewhat throw up in their own mouth scenario here potentially. Hmm. I ran across this in the notes last week about old quarterbacks, Max Duggan, who has you know potentially worked himself into the Heisman race, not to mention made TCU a legit contender, was terrific again against Kansas, is a senior. The guy who originally won the job at TCU and was injured and is now a backup is Chandler Morris. And by classification, he is listed as a redshirt freshman. Ran across this in the notes. Chronologically, by birth date, Chandler Morris is older than Max Duggan. How about that? When it comes to getting old. I think old a redshirt freshman a, who's older yeah. than a senior. He got a little Texas redshirt from dad. Chad Morris has been around a little bit. He's, uh, yep. you know, he's he's not letting old Chandler uh, run in with the <laughs> same uh, at the same class. So that's my that's my hunch. And Chandler was probably moved around a bunch too, right? He lived yeah. in, uh, yeah. Lived, well, he was in, I want to say Tulsa, Clemson. Um, and then obviously went back to SMU, Arkansas. So because I occasionally give parenting advice, and I would give this to you and young Teddy. Please do. Uh, I if, need it. If, if Teddy is an aspiring athlete, do that. I know people people say hmm. no, but uh, my my son was 17 when he graduated high school, and that made a difference. That that made a difference in in where he was in the recruiting calendar and stuff like that. Now you don't do it at the expense of everything else. The mm-hmm. other thing it does is because my, my daughter was also, and she's not an athlete. She's an actress. She also graduated high school at 17. Huh. And we have looked back at that and we're like, what in the world? What was our rush? Start them later, man. And they, they leave too soon. So keep young Teddy around the house a little bit. Start him in school late. Yeah. I don't care how smart he is. He'll still be smart. It's, that was our thing. We're like, well, they appear to be ready for school. Let's start him. No. Keep him home, man. That, that, that's what you should do. So I don't think Kate's ready to let Teddy go when he's 27. So well, <laughs> hey, look, when when they're when they're 25 and 22 as mine are now, you're still not ready, pal. So yeah, <laughs> go no. ahead, go ahead and enjoy that. But you have to. That's life. That's yeah. what you do. But uh, still not ready. I mentioned the the Pac-12 sort of nightmare scenario. Can you imagine, mm-hmm. Pete? It is great. We want the vibrant sport coast to coast, but with UCLA and USC on their way to the Big Ten, don't you think that those remaining behind would sort of be regurgitating in their own mouth if if USC and UCLA were, say, playing in the championship game, a rematch? Uh, Maybe they're undefeated the first time they play and get all the attention. Then they rematch in the Mm Pac-12 title game, which you can do now without the divisions, and they're playing for a spot in the CFP. Oh boy! And and think about think (laughs) about this too. Uh, I believe they play November nineteenth that weekend, and I believe they play at the Rose Bowl. I want to be clear that I have about as much say as where game day goes, as uh, you know what ads go on Monday Night Football. So I want to be clear that in my uh, in my basement cubicle, nobody's asking my opinion. But I did look at the schedule, like you know anyone could, and, and looked at potential games, and that we could. There's a chance, Reese, we could be at the Rose Bowl for undefeated or close to it, USC and UCLA for a fun little feisty LA game on November 19th. Um, I, and, and that would be like all the PAC 12 spotlight on the leaving schools. And then they could play each other again, as you said. So like, that's a lot of oxygen and a tough reminder 
literally as they're like trying to finalize a TV deal for the next iteration too. So that's, that is a, uh, yeah, squeamish, uh, is a word that, that comes to mind. Um, and, uh, yes, you can taste the bile in, in your own mouth on the other 10 campuses there. Uh, if yeah. that, if that is the scenario that plays out. Well, you know what, maybe, maybe Bo Nix and the ducks might have a little something to say about that. Oh uh, yeah. The, 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 well, you know what, we say that and, and understandably so, I mean, having, you know, been around them a little bit and, and knowing the people who've worked with him as quarterback coach, the the talent has always been there always. for Bo. It's been channeling that in a consistently positive manner. Yeah, he's doing that. Last five games, 20 touchdowns, one turnover. And they've won them all. I mean, the change of scenery has been really good for him. And I think some, some of that, this is pure speculation on my part, so entrenched in Auburn and so desperately wanted to help them be elite that maybe the emotions got the best of them at times. And, you know, I, look, the Georgia thing was a debacle. Uh, Georgia was geared up and ready, Lanning's first game, but he, he's turned it around. And I, you know, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing them go against UCLA. It ought to be, yeah. ought to be really fun. Don't know if game day will be there, not suggesting that, but, um, uh, just watching it's the game. Possible. It's possible. It's very, yeah. it's very possible. I'll, I'll yeah. put it that way. Claire, I look <laughs> at the schedule on Sunday sometimes when I'm sitting with my, sitting with my wife watching, uh, watching the NFL, uh, you know, with, with little Teddy and say, Oh, we could go there. We could go. There. I literally look at top 25 games. And when there's two numbers by the teams, I mentioned that as a possibility. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you a say here. You say you don't have anything game day, which uh, you, uh, the self-deprecation is, is overwhelming there by you, by the way. I'm going to give you a say here. If you are choosing for our weekly dumb loses more than smart wins moment of the week. Dumb ways to die. And look, there are a lot of there there was the horrendous fake field goal by Bowling Green, but they were already in trouble. So that didn't really I want to say that got called back by penalty. Yeah, but, but I mean it was you know it was just bad. A, just the whole yeah. idea, but they were already in trouble anyways. It's not really that. So it's a couple of uh, one marquee game and one that uh, that you confessed earlier you fell asleep on, which surprised me because usually you and I are, are texting throughout. Somehow I was wide awake for it. The Oregon State virtual walk-off against Stanford, which kept my, I won't say my favorite stat, but the one I keep repeating is they haven't won a game against an FBS team over a calendar year, and it looked as if they had them on the ropes. Um, and then Treshawn Harrison caught a pass pass over Ethan Bonner and Patrick Fields, the Oklahoma transfer sort of, I mean, I understand he was reacting to the ball, but man, my buddy Rod Gilmore, the former Stanford defensive back, deep as the deepest, wide as the widest all the time, you know, and they, they, they let him out and he scored. And uh, so that's one candidate. Would it be that, or would it be the one shot to win the game play call by Texas A&M on the goal line against Alabama after the pass interference penalty in the end zone gave them another shot that negated an interception. They're both sort of negligent in their own ways, right? Like they're, 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 they're both strong candidates. Um, the A&M one obviously got a lot more oxygen because of the moment's sake. How about Johnny, Johnny football, uh, ripping it on Twitter. Did you see yeah. that? that yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny football <laughs> questioning decision-making, right? That's yeah. a beautiful, 
<laughs> some irony there for sure <laughs> after about a decade of his own uh, pretty good trail of it um that guy was a first round pick that always blows my mind um so the uh the the, the a and m play to me if you are in that you know essentially two point like conversion like i saw nick break it down on his uh his tv show michael casagrande wrote a great article about that play in that mm-hmm. moment and got into some of the leverages it was really well done on al.com mm-hmm. um but you got to throw the ball in the end zone, right? Like, like that's just the one thing you have to give yourself a chance to win the game. Like mm-hmm. there, like there's many, many other, even if you run and you give yourself a chance to win the game, like you have, you cannot throw the ball in a position where you can lose the game. Now he threw it poorly enough where the guy in poor position couldn't even catch it. But to me, I don't know if that's on the, on the play call or it's on the route or on the quarterback decision-making, it's probably on a combination of all of them in some, Mm -hmm. in some sense. Um, The, I I will say this, it's hard to, it's, we've been, we've been modestly critical of Haynes King on this podcast, right? He's, you know, he's had uh, some, some, some moments of mediocrity, I think would be the polite way to uh, say it. And I've been vocal, uh, both kind of just chatting with you and, and on the pod about, you know, wanting to see a little bit of Connor Wig, right? He's a five-star. And that, that I thought the way the offense was trending in the first half, again, they scored a little bit because Jalen Milrow was handing the ball over. Um, I thought we may see him for a flash, you know, a little desperate flash in the third if the score had increased and A&M was desperate for a spark. So good for Haynes King for really, you know, putting in a gutsy – he got – crushed right he got drilled, drilled all night and drilled again and yeah. drilled again so that was one of the gutsier performances just in terms of pulling yourself up off the turf and keep going you know that that, that i've seen in, in college football this year so ton of credit for for him for that and you hate that his night gets distilled to that one moment but that's you know that's sort of where we are and that's what he signed up for um yeah the the stanford play was just really really poor i mean you, it was just yeah. really sloppy and um is that the design of the defense more than just uh you know a bad decision slash angle by the safety i don't i don't know but like you just you can't let that happen can't let um, it happen yeah can't let it, it happen you can't so. i mean because they needed a touchdown it's not like you needed to keep them out of field goal range you had to stop the touchdown and i hate to i hate to pile on but you've convinced me because of the gallant effort which stanford also had a gallant effort sure. uh, i stayed up, i stayed up and watched that game and was shocked uh, i think as shark as shocked as a uh, mark jones and rg3 were when uh, when the touchdown happened but i was shocked because you felt like stanford you know had kind of earned the game and the old beef pulled it out of the fire i guess they lose this week again and they get the dumb loses more than smart wins the play not the players i feel almost bad about this one because i feel like that was from a place of aggression you know, it was kind of a miracle catch over Ethan Bonner. He's a good, good corner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't have Blue Kelly, but, but Bonner's been starting anyway. So it's not like there was an inexperienced guy there. And Fields is experienced, and he's just, you know, too sharp underneath. Yeah. And then the guy ran away from him. So Fields one of the one of the most aggressive goes. kids yeah. that I've you know that I've that I've been around the last couple of years. He's been on a lot of those NCAA committees for rules change. Like he's he went to Stanford from Oklahoma. You know to to get a graduate degree and go play like he's a, you know, he's an unbelievable kid, but that's, uh, you know, look, when you're a defensive back, you sign up for the potential where you, you know, he might've played unbelievable. He might have the highest PFF grade of anybody, you know, yeah. in the, you know, and all the plays preceding it uh, there, but that was, uh, you got to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Got to, got to, got to get him down. Even in that situation, 
you know, pass interference is better than, better than, than what ended up happening. So it's with some regret. I usually like to find the completely goofy ones and there was certainly some plays that merited that uh, this week, but to actually lose the game, you know, seemed to seem to be the one there. So our condolences and, and we're not supposed to root, but I'd like to see Stanford get a win. Uh, I mean, They've they've had some had some tough breaks for sure. Yeah, a lot to look forward to. We even because we try to look back instead of forward. Can't wait to look forward on Wednesday to Michigan and Penn State. Uh, certainly, Ooh. much more on uh, Alabama oh, yeah. and Tennessee. You know there, and then some maybe some rising programs as well. So that's going to do it for this edition of the College Game Day podcast. Join us three times a week. Download anywhere you prefer to get your podcast. Or Pete Thamel who. Little did you know is breaking news right in the middle of this podcast, but couldn't report it just yet. That's a tease. Maybe by Wednesday. We'll see you next time.